first place we're going to be reading from is Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And now please turn to Romans. Romans 10, 9 through 17. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who have preached the good news, for they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Amen. Thank you, Rick and Dawn, and the impact you've had here. It's been a joy to lead this wonderful church family with you. So we now are come, have come to our sixth week, uh, tackling this great question of what is the church? that I think it's safe to say there's much confusion uh, in our culture as to what the church is, the place you come to, the, the little talk that I give, uh, or you might have that, that view of things as to what's happening here, but it's not that. Say what the church is, it's the covenant community of God, the called out ones of God, God's elect, who are doing his mission. Uh, you can think of the church as something that, that moves, right? It flows. It's not just this uh, stale institution, but the people of God doing what he's commanded us to do and empowered us uh, with uh, the charge to do so. So we can think about the mission of the church with two E words, the simplest way to put it. Think of E squared. Edification and evangelism. You see, edification is another word for building up. And as you read your Bible, you're going to see this all over the place. So something like Colossians 1, where Paul's saying, it's my great burden to present everyone mature in Christ, that there's a movement kind of upward and more Christ-like, more and more that his saints would be more like Jesus, more confident followers of his, that we edify one another. Likewise, the second E, we'll be talking about this at length today, evangelism is that the people of God put on display to the non-believing world what it's like to know Jesus as King and Savior. So as we leave this place, we go to our different uh, places of influence and impact, and the ideas that say this is what it's like to have Jesus as King and how his disciples live in light of that. So great place to think about these themes. Really important verse that was given to me, but Acts 9, verse 31. You don't have to turn there, but just make a note of this. Think about it this week. So the early church here. So the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. 
So you think of what's happening there, right? The church is meeting, and they're building each other up. They're under the fear of the Lord, under God's authority, that the Holy Spirit is among them, giving them comfort and peace. And as a consequence of the edification, the saints being built up, that the church then multiplies. Say, why is that such an important verse? Because American evangelicalism has thought it a great idea at some point to say, you know what, we're very good at inventing programs, and designing things to, so non-believers come into our walls, right? We can design a program, say this is really enticing for people who don't know Jesus to come into our building so we can manufacture the multiplication. And this idea of building one another up into maturity in Christ is somewhere out on the periphery if it's happening at all, right? You see this in the last 40 years in in American uh, Christianity. Say the model, alternatively, is as presented in Acts chapter 9. That the people of God, the blood-bought people of Christ, coming together, building each other up in love, under the fear of the Lord, edifying each other in faith, emboldened to go out into the world, God does what only he can do, which is multiply his kingdom. So that's why we edify the believer, we evangelize the world, uh, knowing that we're anchored in Christ. Now what we've done is we've tried to behavioralize the mission. Uh, so we do this with what we call the six pillars. So everybody's, uh, you know, said, I've, I've come to this church. I have no idea what's happening. Say, may that not be after these six weeks. The idea is to have everybody who attends Providence Church, certainly the members of Providence Church, to say, this is where the, the train goes. This is what this local church does. It edifies the Christians. It evangelizes the lost. And these are the kind of God-honoring behaviors that we see out of Ephesians 4 and elsewhere that then carry forth that mission, right? That we need to say, well, how do we do it in our time and our place? So quick review. I know I've been doing this every week. It's unusual. One more week. But I hope we say we want to think through these. Is this not how we're to understand the church? So the foundation of everything we do is repentance, that the members of the church have to be really devoted to Jesus. That the church are the people who say, you know, sin is really serious. You say, no other institution right now anywhere comes at an anthropology like that. Usually it's, oh, we're pretty good, we just got to get the educational system right and the politics right, and then everything's going to be smooth, we'll usher in the utopia. Uh, no, the people of God say, we have rebelled against God, uh, that we're sinful, and we need help from the outside. <laughs> From God's mercy and grace. And that's precisely our glorious gospel, right? God came, put forth his son in history, and we have, uh, we're restored in our own Savior. So repentance is a word that we turn from the world and put on Christ. It's not a one-time thing at conversion, but it is the, the daily posture of the Christian, right? That it's an approach to say, you know, I, my, my Savior, he's all I have. He's all I need. He's the one. Like, this is, a, you know, the, the great God's saving economy, and everything we do at a church is built on that. Because what happens if we don't have that foundation? Well, then we're just moralizing. We're challenging the flesh that all these instructions come to the church and we say, well, what do we do? You know, I guess we just try a bit harder. No, rather to say we're motivated by the people who've been bought back by Christ, redeemed and in a relationship with the Lord of glory. So repentance is the foundation. From there we say, well, why are we gathering every Sunday? Uh, Just the formula that we grew up with so we carry it. No, Sunday mornings is the people of God in all of our diversity with all of our gifting coming together and giving glory to God and again properly functioning as a body uh, with each part doing uh, doing what we're called to do. So each part of the body is indispensable, that we're interdependent, and when we come together, we give glory to God and build each other up. You think about that. 
say, how do a lot of people view the church right now? Dysfunctional place. Place for, uh, you know, uh, certain speakers to get a platform. Say, a lot of people think, say, no, what the church is, it's the, the family of God building itself up in love. Say, this should be a great source of encouragement and strength. We're under the authority of God. We're challenged. We're convicted. We're building each other up. So it says, yes, when I come to my church in this confusing world where there's all these messages and I'm, I'm greatly discouraged and I got all these problems, I can come to my church and say, yes, Jesus is king and he will prevail and he's victorious and we build each other up in that truth. It's a place of strength and a place where God is honored. That's why we gather. From there, we said, well, if we're going to mature in Christ, it's got to be beyond the 65 minutes we spend together uh, that we should be taking time with daily devotions, right? That God says, I mature you with my word. He tells us explicitly, John 17, verse 17, I will sanctify you with my word. What he's saying is, the way to be mature Christians is to sit and settle under God's word throughout the week. Say to start even modestly if you don't to say something like 10 or 15 minutes a day would be a wonderful start And god promises to channel his wisdom and his grace into our lives, right? It's a means of grace. We talked about that So think of this already, right? The church of god saying I need jesus my sin serious I feel a conviction of sin boy. There's a great savior. He's my only hope. He's all I need So there's a turning from the world towards jesus We come together on the lord's day to build each other up in love as ephesians 4 says we're a properly functioning body That we're spending time in the week settled under the word of god from their small groups Nobody ought to be anonymous in a church Say what how do we practice the one another's? To honor one another to carry each other's burdens to confess our sins to one another Well, you have to know people pretty well to do that So small groups while there can be many forums have that same function to practice the one another's there are a mini church and so we uh, Can think of something like the young professionals group or the men's bible studies or the women's bible studies or all the home groups that we have There's some touch point where you say i'm practicing the christian virtues with people in in my church family put yourself in this scenario it's you know some late night you're really in a jam statistically is really scary especially for men men would say i if i was really in trouble in a in a tough spot i don't know who i'd call i don't have many friends at all may that never be for someone in a healthy properly functioning church you should be able to see well yeah i got brothers and sisters i'm a part of a church family that there are people there to help carry this load to help think through things the way that our culture is going so small groups are indispensable for the caring aspect of a healthy church say so then last week we talked about serving jesus came as a servant say well i want to be a member of a church but i don't want to do anything so there'd be real incongruity there wouldn't there Rather, we're to see God has given each of us time and talents and treasure, not only those natural gifts, but spiritual gifts for the building up of the local family. God says, I've given you gifts now. Use those to advance the kingdom and to build each other up. So we serve. Think one other thing. Loads of chances to serve, right? How important it is for a greeting ministry at a church. Say, we all like to have the coffee, but the coffee's got to be made. Say, we all want a great children's ministry, and we have a lot of kids in our church by God's grace. Well, we need our, our most talented people teaching the children plainly what the gospel is. You get the idea that our church must serve. Say, a really good thing to do is you look at that, say, well, what if my small group could do something to serve? And we did have a small group, one example I can think of, and what they did every couple of, eh, I don't think it was once a month, something like that, but what they did is they collectively went to clean 
cornerstone pregnancy services their offices so think about your small group is building each other up in love they know each other intimately and then they do a service project together say that's a wonderful thing for the church to be doing so today we come we take it up a notch right so all these things uh, happening growing in our faith today we come to this idea of saying the name of jesus to those who don't know him that's really what we mean by evangelism right to proclaim to speak the name of Jesus to those who don't know him. We say a lot of us can talk about God, very safe, relatively safe. A lot of us can talk about our church, relatively safe. What we're talking about here is, will the covenant community of God say the name of Jesus to those who don't know him? Now, this is one where if you have been around the church for any amount of time, you went to Sunday school, this is not a cognitive dilemma. In other words, what I mean is we all know we're supposed to do this. We read the Great Commission. We know that there are missionaries and things. We said, yeah, the people of God really should say the name of Jesus. So the problem for us isn't that we don't understand or that this is a revolutionary new teaching. Our problem is different. And if I could put my finger on it, we have completely lost the sense of urgency of the message in America. We've got pastors on screens that are really accessible. We've got mega churches where people can come in and hear this kind of thing. Uh, we're a Christian nation, whatever it might be, but all those ideas kind of melded together. What we think is, I, I know I should do this, but it, it's, it's taken care of. So I hope not. I hope what we see is every Christian is responsible for carrying forth the mission of God in our spheres of influence. So that's what we hope to do today, to build this case and then, again, encourage one another to do this. So uh, point number one. God's redemptive plan has always included the nations. Um, it's not as if, you know, we get to the point in the Bible where Jesus comes and, you know, God's reaching in his back pocket and say, oh, yeah, what, what again is my plan here? Oh, oh yeah, I'm, we're supposed to reach every... Say, God's redemptive plan from the very beginning of time included his people bearing witness to who he is. You remember our first reading today, right? Genesis 12 very beginning of the bible promise comes to abraham abraham out of you all the nations of the earth will be blessed see god's plan is always i'm going to call a people to myself my covenant community and by the way that they relate to me and how they put on display what it's like to know the true god then all the nations people from all the nations will be drawn in it's absolutely consistent throughout scripture have a read of places like the isaiah 40s it's over you know the prophet over and over again saying look the plan is for all the nations to be blessed through god's people israel and of course that comes right through us through the promised king throughout the hebrew bible the lord jesus himself in the great commission you know i think about this a different way say our gospel our glorious gospel has a purpose the gospel's purpose is for god to redeem a people to himself for his glory that this is the great enterprise, the focal point. It, it is the, the overarching hermeneutic of all world history that we've rebelled against God and God's inaugurated a game plan of, of redemption that points to Jesus and he's gathering a people to himself and it's to reach all the nations and the instrument to do that again is th are those of us who have surrendered to him. That that's not changed. The people of God 
bearing witness to who he is so that others might be blessed, so that God might get more glory. You say that is, that is what history is about. That is God's game plan of redemption. It's what the entire Bible is about. God calling a people to himself, his people, for his glory and to use his people to that end. Now, one other verse, you said we read the, the Great Commission very clear, right? Go to all the nations, making disciples. We'll talk more about that next week. But listen to this, Acts 1.8, another aspect of this, before Jesus ascends. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's Acts 1.8. See, why is that so important? The power of the Holy Spirit conversion is not something that can be brought about by flesh and blood it is not in us to change anyone's heart think of what jesus tells nicodemus you must be born again i know there are people in our life where you say you wish that it was a product of natural human effort right you're thinking of that relative i wish i could reach into that relative's uh you know th their innards and take out that stony heart and insert that tender-hearted uh, nature that christ promised that that person would be born again say so we know not we know that real conversion is an act of god that there is power here right that there's power when we bear witness to how god has acted in jesus so we talked about the lack of urgency uh, in the american mind but i also think our reluctance to share jesus is because we don't really believe this we sang today, there's power, wonder-working supernatural power in the blood of Jesus. In other words, that when I share the name of Jesus with others, do I actually believe that God is at work? Or am I saying it's all on me, I've just got to string the right sentences together, gee, I, you know, I messed up the order of that, what I was saying, say no, what, say we have received power that when we proclaim as God's people the name of Jesus that there's a supernatural action where God calls those who are his. Conversion is supernatural. It's not in our flesh. That we've been given that. We know it, but we don't. We know it here. But do we really believe it? That when we share Jesus, that God is at work. Now, you know, put this bluntly, God's redemptive plan, always including the nations, his people bearing witness, so there's really only two categories in all the world. There are missionaries, and there's a mission field. We say, well, we want the missions update, and what we mean by that is the people over in Central Asia say, yes, they're very commendable, but the fact of the matter is that if you're a Christ follower, if you know him as king and as savior, and you, you're obeying him, then we are all missionaries. Every Christian is responsible to tell others about Jesus, that our gospel has a purpose to redeem a people for God for his glory, and each one of us, if you're a Christian, is a missionary. Those who don't need know Jesus are our mission field. So God's redemptive plan, always including the nations, each one of us who are surrendered to Christ uh, have this power behind us when we share the name of Jesus. I hope we believe that. Now, thinking a little bit more about what we've unpacked, say, how do we do this in our time, in our place? Uh, different eras of the church have had uh, different uh, strategies, which I think is normal. You say, God can do anything. If you talk to people who become Christians, it's wonderful, actually. God can, I've known guys who've, who've uh, God's, uh, they've been staring in a cup of coffee and have surrendered to Christ based on something that they heard. You know, God uses all kinds of means. I, 
remember talking to one guy that he was uh, a young dad and he was uh, far from the Lord and he had his legs crossed and between his uh, fingers here he had his cigarette and his young daughter came running up and that cigarette almost hit her in the eye and at that moment it really shook him and he said I don't I don't want to live the way I'm living anymore and say God got a hold of his heart the point is God uses all kinds of means to draw men and women to himself to his glory but if you think about it, it does seem to change the means uh, with the way history moves. So 300 years ago, uh, some of my great heroes, you know, Whitfield, Wesley, Robert Chapman, who I'm reading about at the moment, say, you know what they did? Open-air preaching. Say, I did do open-air preaching last summer, which I delighted in. <laughs> say, be some historical continuity with my her heroes. But I think you say open-air preaching in our culture uh, might not be the best uh, way to bear witness to our faith. You could picture if I went over to Avon Commons and I opened up my Bible and I started preaching, you'd say, well, you know, we're just uh, not there as a culture. Uh, even something as recent, I know many in this room, you were converted, genuinely, sincerely converted at a Billy Graham crusade. You say it's a large-scale event. Uh, a lot of people came and you sincerely surrendered uh, your life to Christ at one of those. That's a wonderful thing, but if you, if you think about that, that big-scale rally, it doesn't sit well with the current cultural mentality, right? And that's okay. There are different means. So how, if you think about it, what has God made very obvious from the start as to how uh, his gospel goes forth? And, and I think it's this. Again, think about this this week. The kingdom advances through relational networks. This language of networking is very much on the mind, on the frontal lobe of, of our culture, right? We all the time think about networking, uh, the relationships that are closest to us. And if you ask people, we won't do a show of hands, but I would guess most of you in this room, some were converted at large rallies or, uh, you know, uh, but, but most of you were probably converted through the influence of a family member or a close friend or an associate, right? Through that relational network. That's the, for most of us, we're usually converted through our parents, those who are close, uh, the conversations that they've had. That is obvious the way God works. Uh, last sermon I gave in 2020 is out of John chapter 1, right when John the Baptist is proclaiming. And if you look there, it's all networks. It's Andrew and Simon, right? They're brothers. And John the Baptist has a group of disciples and they become followers of Jesus. It's through people we know. It's through relational networks. Now you think back to the Great Commission that we did in our communal reading. If you open up a commentary on Matthew 28, verse 18, what you'll, you'll read there is that there's only one uh, imperative, one command, and that's make disciples. It doesn't carry over easy into English because we get go, and we think go is an imperative, but again, you'll just read a commentary. One of the first things you'll read is that go here is a participle. So it's something like this. As you're going, make disciples. In other words, as the, the Christian, as the one who surrendered to Christ, moves out into the world in their sphere of influence, in their network, uh, make disciples as you go. So, well, you can get your head around that. Think of your week ahead. You know, you think you've got a lot of appointments on your calendar. We all do. You say, here are the appointments on my calendar. You also have unexpected appointments. You know, you're going to go to the market and you see somebody there. You say, you bump into them. Say, all these kinds of things. As you're going as a Christ follower, have in mind to make other followers of Jesus. So relational networks, the people you interact with mostly, 
how are we bearing witness with them as we go? So again, something for you to think about this week, the cultural climate we find ourselves in. I think this is a, a good way to, to maybe think about this for a congregation like ours. So firstly, do your job with excellence. Whatever it is that you're responsible for, we have all kinds, it's wonderful, all the different jobs that we have. Um, whatever it is you do, do it with excellence as unto the Lord, Colossians chapter 3, right? So if you're a lawyer, a businessman, a computer programmer, a dentist, you do your job with excellence and kindness as unto the Lord, representing him and all that he stands for. In that network that you're in, right, the people you're naturally interacting with routinely, build sincere relationships. You notice everything we do in missionary efforts is always about relationships. You most impact people in the relationships that you build. So not because you want to use the people or because you uh, have some ulterior motive, but rather to say, I want to invest in people because that's where I can make my biggest impact, and that's what really makes a difference. Build sincere relationships with those close to you in your sphere of influence. From there, listen for consequences of sin. Listen for consequences of sin. So you think of something like 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an answer for the reason for the hope that you have within you. And say, what we think, you know, I, I've never had one person come up and ask me, a non-believer, say, you know, I've really been thinking a lot about penal substitutionary atonement, and I'd like to know more about these things. Say, that question probably isn't coming from a non-believer. When am I going to be asked? So you think, I've not been asked that, but I've been a Things like this come my way a lot. My marriage is in real trouble. Or my child is really struggling at school, and I don't know what to do. You say, at that moment, right, you're a cross Christ follower. You've operated with excellence in your sphere. You've represented Christ well. You've built sincere relationships. You've listened for a consequence of our fallen condition. And then you might say something like this course if it's true you know i have kids and we've been in those places but my faith in Je jesus has made a big difference not my church has helped me although i hope it does not that there's a god and the man upstairs you know lots of latitude for that but rather to say my my faith in the lord jesus has really helped me in tough times in my marriage or the lord jesus has really helped me when i was between jobs and I think what happens at that point is that person is so struck by not getting that anywhere else in the culture. Self-help, God, church. But you really believe that Jesus has made a difference in your life. Say, think about that this week. Is that a good way forward? Say, not street corner preaching, maybe not the mass rally, but the people of God doing their jobs with excellence, building real relationships, acting as Christ would want us to, listening for brokenness, and then telling our story of Jesus and getting into a conversation about him. You know, a lot of people, I think, do this very well in our congregation. I did get permission to share her name, but uh, Becky Cerisi uh, just does such a wonderful job of this. Uh, the, uh, my in-laws were in Carlisle, Pennsylvania this past week, and uh, they struck up a conversation with people from Avon, and right away they said, well, we, we know Becky Cerisi and the impact she's had. Becky works in the schools. She does her job with excellence. She builds into the people around her. She does it with kindness. She listens to them, and when appropriate, she'll ask to pray with them, give them the word of God, but they know where she stands on these things. That's what we're talking about, that there are people in our congregation who we can learn from 
who we can model. Slightly different, uh, but I think germane to the point is there was a, a businessman who called me in our church. He was in the first hour. He called me, I don't know, maybe it was a six weeks ago now, five weeks, something like that. He called me from the airport, and he said, well, I, I, I just, uh, my fun weekend, I was going golfing in Maine. And uh, as is happening so often, a lot of planes are getting canceled, so he missed his flight, and the, the whole golfing trip was delayed. And he called me to say, I just had a really interesting encounter, and that is that when they had loaded all the bags, including his golf clubs, on the plane, and they said, well, the plane's not going to be able to take off, whatever reason it is, there's a poor chap then who's loaded all the bags on the plane. Now this chap's got to unload all the bags, and he's bringing out our, you know, our, our brother's golf clubs. And he's getting the golf clubs up to him, and just by the disposition of our brother, um, you know, he says, well, aren't, aren't you really upset? And our brother says, well, my faith in Jesus really helps me in times like this. The guy's so taken aback. Why? Because everybody else is bitter and they're, they're angry and they've missed their trip and whatever. And, and the, the message of Jesus, so countercultural, counting on the fact that when his name is mentioned, there's real power in it. You don't know where it's going to go, but it's a move in the right direction, isn't it? Do your job with excellence. As you're going, represent Christ well. Build sincere relationships. Listen for consequences of sin and tell the difference that the Lord Jesus has made, trusting that God will use that and he will build up your faith as well. Now, two tragic, lots of faulty mindsets that I wish I had more time to go into, but two faulty mindsets. You know, firstly, those of you say, well, God's got his elect, so I don't need to tell anybody about Jesus, right? This is the old frozen chosen, the navel gazers. Uh, you know, God, God does it, so I don't do any. Say, that would be disobedient. We have the clear command that we're to proclaim what Jesus has done, that we have this good news. And that's what it is. It's a good proclamation. You can be put right with God through Christ that all those things that you've done in your life that you know about, you're embarrassed about, or that's been in the public, whatever, say in the blood of Christ, that that can be healed, you can be restored, you can be set right, and you're called to this great purpose that this good news is ours. So we don't want to say, well, that's something I shouldn't do. And on the other hand, I think the opposite mindset is faulty, and that is, that if I don't get the sentences exactly correct, that all this is dependent upon me, and if I don't do it exactly right, then the person's never going to become a Christian. Say, no, it's, that's not the case either. That as we said, it's a supernatural work. A book that's helped me a ton here, uh, J.I. Packer's Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. Marvelous little theological book. He said, the people of God proclaim the good news of what God has done in Jesus, trusting that God will go to work and call those who are his, uh, bringing the two together. We have this news. We proclaim it. We delight in it. We tell others uh, about Jesus, and God does only what he can do, and that is buy back and tenderize the heart and make new those who are his. So some objections that uh, last couple of remarks for you to think about as we, we prepare to go. Two giant lies. I hear them all the time. Objection number one to what we're talking about. Evangelism is the pastor's job. We just uh, hired a new pastor here. So it can happen that you say, well, we got all these pastors at the church. Um, they're professionals. I don't need to do this. Say, no, every Christian is a missionary. That all of us are on mission, telling others about Jesus. In fact, what I would say is pastors 
the, the ones that I know, we're the worst at this, and it's inexcusable. Because we say, well, I can't tell non-believers about Jesus because I'm busy running the church. You say, inexcusable. So I preach this always to my fir myself first, right? Evangelism is the job of every Christian. It's not for professionals. Likewise, objection two. Maybe the biggest lie that I hear, I'm not ready yet. I don't know enough theology. If somebody asks me, I'm, I'm going to stumble, say you don't need to have uh, theology by definitions, an inexhaustible subject to say, no, you can tell anybody the difference I hope that Lord, the Lord Jesus has made in your life. And moreover, that we do offer these workshops, the things that we do to better equip the church family so we can collectively get better. But don't say, well, I'm, I'm not there yet. Say, we're going to tell ourselves that uh, until we're taken home, right? That I'm not ready yet. You, you know enough. If you know the Lord Jesus, you know enough. Thirdly, and I will at some point get a whole sermon on this or a sermon series on this, big problem in the church. Lifestyle and good works or protests, whatever you want to put in there, are sufficient. Say, I've watched a lot of news in my life. The gospel's good news. You've watched a lot of news. You know what they all have in common? Words. Romans 10. How are they going to know about Jesus unless they hear how are they going to hear unless the people of God speak? How are they gonna, the people going to know about this unless we're sent? In other words, that we use words. We use words. Of course, our lifestyle counts. That's not what we're saying. But lifestyle and positions in and of themselves don't point people to Jesus. He's given us voices and minds so that we might declare his praises. Finally, objection four, I think on our minds more than ever, but I'll be fired. Or I'll be threatened. I was on a call this week, kind of took me back, where an uh, eminent theologian, he said, prepare your people for a theology of being fired. And I said, wow, that's, you know, uh, we might be there. I mean, it might come to that. But I think really what we're saying is that if you do your job with excellence and you have good relationships in your sphere of influence, that there's a smart way to go about this where you can really listen to brokenness and insert the name of Jesus. So friends, I, I leave you with this. The world evangelizes how many of you watch the olympics you see what's going on with even children's shows i've watched some of the stuff coming like that normal six-year-olds would be watching say there's a message they're proselytizing right you watch the olympics oh it's just sports no it wasn't just sports there was a message the world's not embarrassed of their message we ought not be embarrassed of our message. The Lord Jesus is worthy. We're the covenant people of God. We must operate, must operate in our spheres of influence with tact and with the strength that he provides, knowing there's power in his name. And this is a great sense of urgency for every Christian. Again, I hope that we'll never fully arrive at being the perfect evangelist, but let's, as a church, Keep this on the fore as fundamental to our mission, saying the name of Jesus to those who don't know him by his strength and for his glory. I'll invite Jim and the team back up. Lord, we read this. How will the nations know they have not heard? And how will they hear without the preaching, the proclamation, the good news, and without those who are sent? That we are all, in a way, sent. That we're going to leave... 35295 Detroit Road in a short time that were launched out into the world. Then in a congregation like ours that there is a much influence 
that there are many people we will meet with and have met with regularly in our families to say, how do I, in that arena, uh, that network, put forth Christ because he's made such a, different, a difference and an impact on us? Lord, in a time that doesn't think much about supernatural power, May the church not be sucked into that lie to say there's really power in the name of Jesus, that it's not that we have to string it all together, and that it, but, but rather to say, help us to say the difference that you make, knowing that you're going to have your way, that only you can penetrate the hearts of men and women. Lord, use us to that end. May we recapture the zeal of the early church, building each other up in love, going out into the world, proclaiming Jesus for your great glory. In his name we pray.